If you treat every person you know that you encounter, have a conversation with, learn their name, as if their name is the most important thing in the world, and in a way, you never know. It could be, right? You know, I've, I've definitely, I'm sure in my life, met someone who I didn't think would matter, learned their name, didn't bother to remember it, and then ran into them weeks later, and it was actually important that I did because maybe they work at this new job I started or I needed their help with something. You, know, you never know. Have you ever been at a party and were introduced to someone and then a few minutes later, you completely forgot their name? I know I have. What if you can learn a technique to help you remember names in general? And then unrelated, but kind of related, what if you can learn techniques how to read just a little bit faster and be more efficient? If any of these interest you, then this episode is definitely for you. Week nine of the Not Almost There podcast, where I speak to four-time USA memory champion and adventure mountaineer Nelson Dallas on a variety of topics. We get into his experiences climbing Mount Everest, the importance of remembering people's names, and Nelson shows us skills how to do just that. He even has a trick, as I mentioned, on how to help us read faster. We get into also a book that's changed his life that surprised me, I'm sure it will surprise you, and a whole lot more. Stay tuned after this episode for how I applied the techniques he taught us today. They are so good and easy to start using, and I can't wait for your feedback and for you to listen to this. Please subscribe, like, review, leave a comment. And at the end of this episode, I have a special offer for you. But now, please enjoy the episode. All right. On the Not Almost There podcast, I have Nelson Dellis. Welcome, Nelson. Hey, how are you? How's it going? Good. It's great to have you on the show today. Yeah, happy to be here. So I have many questions for you. But the first question, after I found out that you were an avid climber, I wanted to know what was harder, climbing Mount Everest or becoming a memory champion? Uh, wow. I mean, in a way, you can't compare them, but I almost don't know how to answer that because I guess with Everest, it was harder in the two months that I was on the mountain. Um, but with the memory championship, I mean, it, it, I really put a lot of my life on hold or sacrificed a lot for a longer period of time. So you could argue that that was harder. Um, there's definitely more risk climbing Everest than memorizing uh, a lot. So, uh, yeah. And how many times did you attempt to climb Everest? Three. Yeah. And I'm, I'm playing with the fourth one. Uh, I was hoping to go this year, but I think it might be too tricky with uh, COVID. I still haven't gotten a vaccine yet. So potentially next year will be a return. Gotcha. Is there a certain time of the year that that's better than others? I, I noticed when I watch documentaries, it just seems like there's an insane line of people on that mountain. And that gives me more anxiety than anything, like having to kind of wait in that line. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the best time of year typically is spring, um, just before summer because the monsoon season comes in and then it's just bad weather or rainy weather, which high on the mountain is, uh, you know, precipitation uh, and wind and it's warmer. So stuff melts, stuff moves, it's not safe. So you go kind of 
when it's not too cold, you don't want to go in winter, although some people do attempt winter attempts. It's a lot harder. Um, but yeah, you go in like March, end of March, and you're there on the mountain kind of April, May, and then end of May, early June is kind of when you got to get out of there. Is, is what you see on those documentaries and on the news real in the sense that there are these kind of crazy lines and Sherpas, you know, helping people and Yes and no. Um, it's true that you know more and more people tend to be going, and, and there's there's an ebb and flow. Like for example, this year it is open. Um, I predict that there won't be that many people, that many crowds. Um, but I would imagine next year, unfortunately, I'm imagining. Who knows what will happen in the world? But people will be more vaccinated. People will have this itch to kind of kick off their bucket list. I would imagine it would be pretty busy. And, you know, the Nepalese government, so does the Chinese, there's two sides to climate, have regulations, sort of, and they change, like, Nepal, I'm sure, is aching to have their full tourism industry back. So I I doubt that they would, you know, want to limit too much. So it's it's a balance of that stuff. And, And what other things they don't report on is, like, those pictures you see with the lines, I mean, those are real, right? I mean, those are real bodies of people in line. Um, but what people don't recognize is, is there, some seasons are just so bad weather wise that there's one shot and, you know, on, add on top of that, that there's some companies that don't quite have the, the skilled people that they allow on their team, you know, with, they don't have the right experience, stuff like that. Yeah. You can get those kind of, you know, cluster F's if you know what I mean. But, um, yeah, that's and that's a problem of 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 the government in a way, and, and some of the companies that shouldn't be operating on the mountain, and 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 kind of restrictions on who they allow. Um, yeah, I want to get into memory, but I'm fascinated by your Mount Everest expeditions. So the closest you got, I read, was about 50 meters. Yeah, uh, to a point uh, called the Hillary Step. I was just kind of up it a little bit, and then uh, decided to turn around. In at, the, at that point, since you're, I mean, 50 meters seems close to me, but sure. I also heard you say that 50 meters is like another hour. Yeah, well, and, then, and to be clear, it was a 50 vertical meters uh, from the summit. So um, on the, it was on the south side, uh, which, you know, it's pretty direct vertical-wise. Um, but yeah, it would have been another hour kind of, of trudging along at one of the the cruxes of the the climb. I mean, the Hillary Step is kind of a, a steep section with a bit of rock negotiation. Um, it's not trivial by any means, but once you pass that, it's kind of a chill slope back up to the mountain, but uh, to the summit. But um, you know, there's still a ways to go. But 50 meters. I mean, I was in the dark at that point, but you could technically, if it was above you, it would seem, you know, just like the top of a building, a short apartment building. You know what I mean? So what what made you just decide to turn around? Was it 100% safety? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I had to, you know, I'm, you're throughout this whole expedition, you're in your head kind of evaluating how you're feeling. You know that altitude sickness, uh, pulmonary edema, cerebral edema, which are kind of the two severe high altitude um, problems that can happen, can happen really quickly if you don't pay attention to the, the warning signs beforehand. And I had had a situation with my mask, my, my uh, oxygen mask that I was using. It froze and I couldn't use it for a while. So that impeded my progress for a while. Uh, we also walked right over uh, 
a recently dead climber. And so, you know, my mind was just like thinking all the things, over questioning things. And um, definitely the, the impact of that oxygen mask that wasn't working made me slower and, and made me have to breathe. The, uh, you know, I, I wasn't acclimatized for the death zone. You know, that's why we have oxygen masks. If you're using oxygen, most people do. Um, so I got to the Hillary step and I sat down. My Sherpa talked to me and was like, let's go one more hour. And, I, you know, I was out of it. You could I felt like I probably could have just sat there and closed my eyes and that would have been the end of it, you know. Um, but something within me said, you know, it's not worth it to push on. Um, I got to get down now because um, going down, you know, it's a whole other th- right ball game. I mean, I got to be with it to be able to descend the mountain as well to some extent and i stumbled down it wasn't pretty but i made it thank goodness i I didn't try to venture any further because it would have been pretty bad coming back down i think did you have a sense of relief as soon as you got down i mean did you all of a sudden feel better or did it take you a while to to get back to normal tons of emotions i think i cried for a good while i was relieved in a way i felt safer i wasn't quite out of the woods yet but um also tremendous amount of regret you know I, I being so close to something that you put so much into um you know you start to question did i really feel that way was that you know a dream everything at, excuse me at a high altitude you know you feel delirious it's it's like you're a bit drunk you know everything's kind of hazy your your fa- mental faculty faculties aren't quite precise so you know i, I question whether i really made the sound decision and you know i i at this point, at sea level, I, I know I made the right decision, um, but you know, you kind of wonder how much did you have left in the tank? Because I wasn't dead. Uh, was I close to death? Perchance, I think I was, but how close? Right? There's always that internal governor inside your head that says, "Danger, danger," but he's way too cautious. Right? He'll tell you there's danger way before you're actually, you know, in danger of of being in actual danger, but you know, when to kind of trust in that voice, maybe I'm too cautious about it. And maybe other climbers aren't. And that's why they summit and I haven't. So I don't know, I'm happy with my decision. You know, I look at it from a memorable standpoint, like the climb itself is great. The summit would be great. But to me, it's like this memorable journey experience that uh, I get a lot more from than probably having actually reached the summit that first time. Yeah. And and what's crazy about it is all the symptoms of what could happen up there are, are not dissimilar to, you know, fatigue and, and some of the other things you'd be, you'd be experiencing anyway. And you're right. Like the climber that you walked over probably felt okay one minute and then laid, you know, sat down and cited yeah. a rest and then didn't wake up. So it's, it's, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you came back and I know that you are gonna complete it. And, you know, I can't wait for that moment. Me too, man. It's, uh, that was 10 years ago. Literally 10 years ago, that first attempt, I was, what, 27? It's crazy to think about that. What got you into climbing in the first place? Yeah, I, uh, I think I, I love to travel. We grew up tra- traveling as a family. Uh, my dad's job moved us all around. And I realized, you know, once I kind of grew out of, of, of my house that I grew up in that I wanted to travel. And I kind of got sick and tired of just traveling for the sake of you know, traveling. I, I wanted to travel with purpose and meaning. And I always realized that I liked being around mountains. 
for one reason or another. I think the main reason being it made me feel small and insignificant in the world and that there's a bigger kind of picture than just me and us uh, as a species or whatever. And so I, I started gravitating to travel towards these mountains. Um, and then I said, you know what, what's the point of just walking up to these mountains? Why not travel to them and climb them and, and, and get the experience out of there. You get really into the culture. You go into these remote places. You see some of the, see some of the most incredible places on earth. Um, and yeah, that's just kind of where I started to explore that. I needed to learn some skills, some mountaineering skills. So I took a course and, uh, you know, you climb one mountain, you want to climb another even bigger and, and more challenging. So eventually Everest was kind of in the horizon there. What point along your life did you get interested in memory? Yeah, to be honest, it was kind of the same, same time. Uh, I guess it must have been like a super transformative moment in my youth when I really was grasping at what I wanted to do with my life or trying to figure that out. Because um, growing up, I, could all, I always kind of had fleeting interests. You know, I, I was interested in a lot of things. I got into things for a good amount of time, but eventually dropped and moved on. Um, you know, I played dozens of different instruments. I mean, I've mostly played guitar and piano and still do, but uh, learning languages and things like that. And I, I have enough, I have stuff to prove that I know it to some capacity or can do it to some capacity still, but I wouldn't say I was a master at any of them. Um, and then, yeah, I started to feel that way about traveling in mountains, um, kind of at the same time that I was really fascinated by the brain. My grandmother had Alzheimer's disease, and, and around then she was getting very, very sick, and eventually she passed away in 2009, which is kind of around this time. And uh, yeah, I just was on this high of kind of fine-tuning my life's direction, almost not... I wouldn't say it was on purpose. I didn't really know what I was doing. They were just like super interests that I had that I seemed to stick with more than anything. And I think it was just a timing issue and kind of the right inspiration around me uh, that made me stick with it. Um, and I really like things that push me. The mountaineering did that. So did the memory stuff. It was a, a new skill that I never had any inkling that I could do or have uh, a skill uh, set in. And yeah, I just it just kind of grew from there. And was it was it an audio CD you learned from? Did you just like see it yeah. random and were like, "Hey, I want to learn that. That looks cool." And then yeah. from there it blossomed. Kind of. Uh, so with my grandmother struggling with Alzheimer's, I started reading a few books on brain, the brain, and memory is always a chapter in there somewhere, especially when you're reading up on Alzheimer's. And you know, I kept kind of hearing little inklings or reading a little bit about people who competed or, or had phenomenal memories and, or maybe used techniques. And I thought, Oh, that's interesting. You know, not me. I don't have a great memory, but that's interesting to hear that some people happen to be decent at this or really good at it. Um, and then this memory championship, um, thing kind of popped up on my radar. I forget how exactly, but I, I investigated and discovered that most of the people that compete in these things aren't savants or people with photographic memories. They're just like people like you and I, who learned the techniques uh, and these techniques have been around for thousands of years and they just practice, 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 practice. And to me, that sounded way too good to be true, but I picked up an audio CD by um, an eight time world memory champion, a British guy, Dominic O'Brien. And at the time I was living in Chicago, actually I was working. It was my first time leaving the house. 
uh, my my home and and working on my own, living on my own, and kind of struggling to make ends meet. So I was just walking to work, listening to this audiobook, doing these seemingly ridiculous memory exercises in my mind, and slowly realizing that I, these actually work. If if I put a little you know elbow grease into them, maybe I could compete and and do something there. And that kind of steamrolled into me wanting to be the, the champion and becoming the champion and all of this other stuff that happened to me. And you were saying too, that that book isn't even available on like in a hardcover. It's just available on CD still. Or yeah. That one even... in particular, I mean, Dominic O'Brien has published, I'd say tens, uh, tens of tens, 20, <laughs> 30, 40 books on memory. Um, but I don't know. I had the audio uh, book. It's called Quantum Memory Power. I think you can still find it used on Amazon maybe or on eBay. But um, it just seemed like a complete course that I could take. Um, I wanted something to listen to, like as I was saying, to walk around town. Um, But yeah, that's just what I happened to pick up. It was probably recommended somewhere on some forum or website. Got it. Well, your book here, even though this your newest one's for for kids – yeah, uh, and my daughter's reading it. I read it. Okay. I think it's phenomenal. It's for parents too. I mean, it's yeah, just... I think a parent could read it as long as you understand that it's written in a style for kids. But it doesn't mean that you can't learn from it. Yeah, maybe I'm maybe I'm a kid at heart, but it it was an easy <laughs> read and it was it was entertaining. And oh, nice. yes, yeah, so my my it. daughter's uh, almost halfway through it, and she's reading a little bit every day. But it's uh, how old is she? She is ten. She's gonna be eleven next month. That's the perfect age. Yeah, yeah, yeah for that book. That's it what really I'm is for which is. Which is one of my questions for you. Why, why isn't that one of the foundational courses in school? It's a great question. Uh, and I don't have the answer for that. I've tried over the years to, that I've been in this world of memory and, and memory coaching and training to get it into some school, at least locally, to, to kind of do a test pilot program and, and, and to prove you know, what I believe is something that would immensely help these students uh, especially young kids that all they have to do for the next you know 10 12 years of their life is study and that decides almost sometimes the rest of their life after that so memory and learning and remembering facts and all these things is is crucial to them having success no matter what new age curricula says it's it's it, you have to memorize you know i know there's a lot of new kind of paradigms in education where especially in the u.s where it's like memory is bad memory memorization is bad and uh you know you want to learn without memorizing it's like that's the most ridiculous thing i've ever heard you have to memorize uh now there's a difference between wasting all of your time just memorizing something but i think that and i think it gives more credit to what i'm trying to say about memory techniques is what if i could teach you a way to do the memory part of learning quick, fast, right? So you don't waste the time. And then once you have it in your head, you can do whatever you want with it, right? You can expand on your knowledge of what you memorize. You can go deeper into facts about those things. You can really get to learn and push it into your long-term memory, you know, from there. But it starts with memory. And all I'm saying is I can get that done faster. So it's not so much of a kind of a taboo thing with a negative connotation because it's boring and tedious it's actually easy quick and fun if you do it the right way yeah even the social aspect of it and i know you you mentioned this a lot and my next question is what's the question you get the most with regards to memory 
which I would I would think is just remembering people's names. Like when you meet them at a, at a party or in a social yep. gathering, and as a kid, I that would be such an invaluable skill that you would you would carry on for your whole entire life because that just makes you more likable. Yeah, uh, first and foremost. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, throughout your life, you're going to have relationships. If you can master a, the ways of how to kind of get what you want, I know it sounds a bit um, shallow, but it's kind of the way of the world, right? You you, you have to deal with people and, and people have preferences and, and things they don't like. So why not play to them in a natural way that, that, that benefits both of you guys, you know? Um, so yeah, memorizing names is is a simple thing that can transform a relationship between business partners, um, lovers, whatever. Um, but if if you learn the, these skills from early on, you know it's stuff you don't even have to think of later on because you automatically think that way. You know, what I argue is that yes, I have to actively use my memory techniques to get them to be so powerful. But a lot of the training that I've done over the years has primed my mind to think a certain way. And that thinking a different way allows things to be a lot more memorable just in general when I meet people, when I experience things, whatever. So yeah, I mean, that's definitely one of the most popular questions I get is how do I remember names? Um, I'd say maybe the other one is do you go to casinos <laughs> or something <laughs> like that? But uh, that's usually like a joke question. So well, maybe how it's can, not. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably not. Yeah. Um, so how how can someone improve their memory? So if I meet someone at a party, and I'm I'm guilty of this, right? I'll, I'll meet someone, have a conversation with them, meet someone else, and then I struggle to remember that person's name. Yeah. And part of it is, I know, am I being absolutely present? But the other part is, you know, I. I don't know why that that is difficult. So what what techniques would you give someone like me? Yeah, so th that's definitely a big part of it and it's definitely a place to start is 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 the being present, paying attention, you know, assuming value in the person and their name, you know, that you're talking to, no matter who they are. I think that's a really important thing. Um we're quick to judge sometimes or we're inconsiderate sometimes, but if you treat every person you know, that you encounter, have a conversation with, learn their name as if their name is the most important thing in the world. And in a way, you never know. It could be, right? You know, I've, I've definitely, I'm sure in my life, met someone who I didn't think would matter, learned their name, didn't bother to remember it, and then ran into them weeks later. And it was actually important that I did because maybe they work at this new job I started or I needed their help with something. You, know, you never know. Um, so now I just assume that anybody I meet um, you know, it's just, and it's just like an ethical thing. Like just treat someone nice, you know, like as if they're important, they like that and you'll get a benefit from it. Cause you'll, you'll get, a, a you'll potentially memorize their name. Once you get past that though, then you're dealing with like true memory techniques, which are based on basically visualization. So trying to imagine, um, things to represent information that's hard to imagine, like a name or a number or a playing card or whatever. How can I turn that into some picture in my mind? And that's usually based on associative memory, right? What things or, or, or experiences have you had in your life that are already kind of hardwired into your brain? What do new pieces of information remind you of that you already have here? If you can attach that to something inside your mind, it's like anchoring a boat, right? You've just suddenly put that floating 
uh, vessel on the surface of the water attached to the ground, right, into your, your brain. And it's easier to, you know, get to that boat. The next thing is, is finding a way to kind of attach or link what you're trying to memorize to kind of the thing or the use case, right? So for a name, for example, you're learning a name, but it's attached to a person, right? So how do you kind of keep that attachment, right? It's one thing to just remember a name, a word, but how do you remember it that it belongs to that person, right? So um, for names specifically, what I'll do is I'll choose a location or some kind of feature on the person's face or something about them, big nose, pretty eyes, it'll dimple, I don't know, it depends. Um, and I'll take the picture that I have for the name and basically attach it to that thing, link it to that thing. And then again, it's more associative. You just kind of make some very bizarre visual to connect the two things. And the idea is that next time you see the person, you're gonna notice what you noticed before, their big nose or whatever. And then um, if your picture was memorable enough, you'll remember the image on their nose, which reminds you of the name, you know? And so it's this game of, of, of figuring out the craziest picture possible and attaching it to something that um, they carry with them all the time, their big nose. <laughs> So, so give me an example. You, you and I are meeting for the first time over this podcast. Yeah. So, are you, let's say you're meeting me, yep. and you're, you know, you're looking at me uh, before we exchange names. You don't know my name. Uh, the first thing you would do is kind of decide what is going to be the feature of choice. So, it can depend. I mean, it's different sitting down across a Zoom versus meeting in person versus seeing a picture. So. If you're meeting me in person, I don't know how tall you are. I'm very tall. I'm almost uh, two meters, so six foot seven-ish. Um, so you might be struck by that. You'd be like, wow, this guy's super tall. Didn't expect that. Or maybe you know, my beard is very red. It doesn't look super red here. Maybe it does. I don't know. But in real life, it's pretty red. So maybe you just see my red beard. Or you, you know, I, my skin's not great right now. I don't know why it's dry. So maybe you notice like a little marking or I have a zit or something like that. It doesn't matter. But let's say for now... Uh, you choose my red beard just to keep it simple, okay? Then we go in for our name exchange. You know, you say, hi, I'm Joe. And I say, hey, I'm Nelson. Okay, so at that point, you've heard my name. You've heard the word that is associated to this thing, right? So you got to come up with a picture. So what does Nelson visualize as? Well, that depends. Names are tough because sometimes a name is a super common name and you know another guy with that name or you know a character from your favorite book with that name or... It sounds like an object. Uh, in other cases, and, and this is most cases, is, is you've never heard that name before. Uh, it's an international name or it, the person pronounces it weird, right? Or different than you thought. So I always say if it reminds you of something, whether it's a person or another word, use that instantly, right? Something you can visualize straight away. If it isn't, then try to break it down into smaller sounds, syllable, syllabic sounds, and come up with pictures there. Because eventually, as you break it down into smaller things, you, it's inevitable that you think of something. So Nelson, let me just ask you, do you, does that ring a bell? Does that give you any association to anybody you know or any object? Nelson Mandela, I would say. Sure. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, other people might say, I've gotten Nelson Mandela, Nelson from The Simpsons, the character. Uh, Nelson, Horatio Nelson, like the commander in history. Um, Hey, a full, people, Nelson for, full Nelson. Full Nelson, right, or half Nelson or whatever. Yep. 
Um, yeah, or you know a Nelson, right? I think that in, yeah. even in Miami, there's a lot of Nelsons. It's a very common Latin name. Um, there's definitely a lot of Cuban mus- musicians that are named Nelson as well, if you knew that. Um, but anyways, let's choose Nelson Mandela just because that's a very iconic figure. Um, whether you picture you know, actual Nelson Mandela because you've seen pictures or watched video of him or you think of Morgan Freeman, right? Because you thought of the movie where he played him. I think it was Invictus, right? Yeah. Um, doesn't matter, right? You have some image to represent something related to the word Nelson, okay? And then it's just a mar- matter of marrying the two things together, my beard and Morgan Freeman or, or Nelson Mandela, right? And you can do it in a number of ways. I think the easiest way is just to say to yourself, ask yourself, what do they have to do with each other? What's the weirdest thing I can think of that would have a reason for them to be intertwined somehow? So it could be, you know, okay, well, you could just say, well, Nelson Mandela is on my red beard, which is memorable, right? But what's the reason? Like, give it a little more backstory, you know? Okay, well, maybe, you know, South Africa, there's a bunch of like forests made of red beards or something like that. Cause I think Nelson Mandela, I think South Africa, right? Um, I just I visualized think, him mowing the lawn. Yeah. I'm yeah. your beard. <laughs> exactly. And, and I also, for uh, Nelson Mandela, I think, you know, very inspirational person, maybe giving very moving speeches. Um, you know, I think in, in this Invictus, he gives that, uh, he says that poem in a really moving way at the end. Um, and so, yeah, maybe he's giving something really motivational um, as he mows the lawn or something like that, you know, and you try to create all this detail around the imagery. And then the idea is, you know, next time you see me with my big red beard, because that's what I always carry around. Um, I mean, unless I shave, but I don't shave uh, that off really ever. But um, you'll imagine that image, right? Nelson Mandela mowing my red beard off while giving a speech. And uh, yeah, there's the name. Now, it's a lot of work, right? It sounds like well, we just spent five minutes talking about that. How am I supposed to do that in a conversation? But uh, with practice, you get faster at that. A lot of, yeah, so for a lot of names that, a lot of common names, I already have an image preset for those things. So, um, you know, I don't have to think twice about what I'm going to think about. I just have the feature, which I quickly choose. I smash the image onto it and I move on, you know, Um but at the beginning, yeah, you have you kind of have to massage it and get used to the technique, trust that it works. Because um, memory, I think, works largely based on how much you trust it. So if you think you have a bad memory, that's like the number one memory killer. Um, you have to slowly kind of get yourself out of that um, mindset. So help me understand this for a second, though. If I'm in a conversation with you and I'm trying to be present, do I... Yeah. Focus on that, or do I leave the conversation and, it, and before I talk to the next person, start associating your name with something like that? Yeah, that's a good point, right? Because uh, you know you're trying to make this connection with someone, but I'm also telling you to step away and do this whole fantastical thing in your mind. But um, you know, with time, that gets faster, and you can stay present while doing that. Um, what I tend to suggest at the beginning, while you do that, is to maybe get comfortable fielding some questions at the person that are kind of buffer, right? To let you, to buy you some time while you do this, you know, or, or you can do it in parts, you know, you can have some conversation while you're maybe choosing the feature, you know, and and kind of multitask back and forth while you're doing that. And then when there's a gap, 
in the conversation or maybe someone joins a conversation and they introduce each other. Maybe that's when you uh, take the moment to come up with a picture and associate it, you know? Um, yeah. Knowing myself, I would come up with something and just start laughing though. Yeah. Has that ever happened to you? <laughs> when you're just yeah, definitely. associate that? Yeah. But you know what? You use that to your advantage. Like if you can sometimes, you know, especially in, in places where I may not have time or I'm flustered because there's too many people, I'll bring it up. Like I'll talk about it. People love talking about their names and, and what better icebreaker to, to just say like, listen, I, I just read this book on memorizing names, so I'm practicing. I just imagined, you know, Nelson Mandela shaving your beard. What do you think about that? You know, like what would you remember my name by or something like that? You know, like even if you bring that up, that's a heck of an icebreaker, memorable icebreaker, and, and you've instantly made their name and probably your name more memorable, you know? Are you finding it harder to stay present and or teach these techniques with the ever-present notification issue on digital devices, social media? It just seems like it's getting harder and harder to concentrate because we have so much distraction around us. Definitely, yeah. And, and, and I think that's even more argument to be more mindful and masterful of these techniques or to give them a chance to, to, to be important in your life. Um, cause I don't have to always have my phone on me because I feel confident that I can remember a lot of the stuff that I use my phone for. Um, but yeah, I, I recognize that distractions can also kill your memory. So, you know, turning off notifications to an extent, um, keeping your phone not always on you, um, has definitely been something that helps my memory. So, but it's, it's, it's tough. It's a fine line because, you know, it's, it's, our life. I'm not, I'm not telling people to go back to the stone age and live their life that way. Like phones do help our lives and, and help me be more productive most of the time. Um, but I just have to be careful with what I allow and, and how I understand it's affecting my memory. You know, how does, uh, memorization apply to, or does it, is it correlated at all to speed reading? I've watched a video of yours and you in that video, you in 16 minutes, you do a wonderful job um, teaching the viewer how to speed read. How, is that correlated at all? Uh, in a way, you know, I I I I think I use the word speed read in that that video to get the views. Yeah, people, it's a con- contentious more. topic because some people think it's total crap, and some people are they want to know how to do it. Obviously, if it saves time. Um, I think reading faster is definitely a thing. I think speed reading, and I talk about it in the video where yeah. some people claim they can do this and that, thousand words per minute, multiples of thousands of words per minute, and I think that's totally bogus. But um, I think what's more important is being able to read quickly and efficiently while remembering what you read. So, you know, that in that video, I talk a lot about how how you should be reading in a, in a from a viewpoint where you want to remember more, and and that's where I think they they cross over because. You're obviously not remembering every single thing of what you read or every single word. That's a different task. But you do want to remember broad strokes and points in the plot or uh, definitions that are important to you. And um, I think using these techniques, some of the techniques while you read, definitely makes the whole reading experience smoother and, and, and then because of that, faster. So in a way, yeah, speed reading relies on your memory. And one of the techniques that you show in the book, because I'm sure the audience would be interested in that, and I'll link to that that video, because uh, yeah. I, again, I thought it was very good. 
but it's really cutting out the margins on the left and the right and focusing on the middle. And when you think about how much you cut off, it's not a lot, but then it, as a percentage, it's about you know, 20, 30% of the page, maybe 30, I would say. Yeah. Which then if you're not reading 30% of it, but you can infer the words there, that's what helps you read faster, essentially. Yeah, because you think about time-wise, what your eyes are doing when it goes from one page to the other, right? That takes time. So if you kind of narrow that bound, um, then you're saving time, right? That's physics, right? Um, And, and, well, then you're saying to yourself, well, I'm, I'm leaving out 30% of the words, but you'd be surprised, you know, like if you just hold your pen in front of you or your finger in front of you, you can see that I have a light here and that my desk is over there and that there's a camera there, right? We can see a lot in our peripheral vision and add to that, we're reading something that is written in English in some logical sense. So half the time we know what the sentence is going to continue on saying, you know, that there's going to be a, a the or, you know, end with happily ever after you know what i mean like uh, there's a lot that you can infer from just reading the center of a page and just re- relying on your peripheral vision to kind of uh, absorb the rest i don't think you lose too much uh, meaning by cutting those out how would your life have been different if you weren't a memory champion if you didn't find that cd and if you didn't dive into that yeah uh, that's a good question i was uh I grew up wanting to be an astronaut. I was too tall, uh, but I did study physics and that was kind of where I was headed. I wanted to be an astrophysicist. I was in uh, getting my PhD in that. Um, and then I switched to computer science, so which I loved for a time. And then I realized I didn't want to do that. But I, I think I would have ended up doing something science-y. Uh, probably would have been a software engineer for a little longer than I was. Um, I don't know, but I, I feel like somewhere in me is this entre- entrepreneurial spirit, um, which I think is why I, I do the memory thing, which even that it's hard to define what I do for a living because I can't, I coach people. Um, but I also do a lot of other projects that aren't necessarily coaching, but are memory related. Um, I think it, when it comes down to it, I like to teach, I like to, you know, take information that I know and find an easy way to explain it to someone else so that they can benefit from that information. So, so maybe I would have actually just been a teacher. I don't know. I mean, I am a teacher. I actually teach at the university as well, but I think I would have been like a full-time professor or high school teacher. I don't know. That's great. So on, on a slightly different topic, what I did notice is you, uh, you're, you're a very humble person, but you also were, were kind of admitting that you're an introvert and you like to, you know, you'd rather speak to 3000 people sometimes than a one-on-one conversation. And, and you're almost better one-on-one on a camera than having a conversation with someone. Yeah. You're obviously a very good at having a conversation and I've seen you have many conversations. How did you tackle that fear in your life? And what are some best practices that you could pass on? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, if I feel comfortable now, it's because I'm talking about something that I'm comfortable about, which is mountaineering and memory, right? If we were going to talk about something I don't know too much about, I'm going to be very embarrassed or shut down a little bit. Um, I also feel comfortable with you. Um, I don't know. I think, I wonder, it, it's it's hard to describe, but yeah, the, the, the 3,000, speaking to 3,000 people is easy because it's not like a person. It's just like a body of a big body of people, you know, um, 
And, you know, of course, you, you recognize that maybe a person in there or dozens of people don't like what you're saying, but the majority of people are there to listen to you because you're the expert, right? So knowing that, it just doesn't make it very scary. I mean, I'm always a bit nervous to go out at the beginning, but once I step out there and I'm talking about what I know, it's easy. Um, and it's, I'm trying to think of like when I was dating, for example, I'm married now, but I'm not very good at approaching a girl, for example, but on a one-on-one -on -one date, very good. Uh, why? I, I don't know, because I, I, I could plan it. I could, I could figure out the things that I wanted to talk about and, and interesting ways to say them and, 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 and ways to, to kind of schmooze that wasn't too awkward. Um, so I don't know. I think I read a lot about that uh, in my 20s to kind of get better at it. Um, and then especially with the memory stuff, I was kind of forced into giving speeches. Giving speeches was not easy for me at the beginning. Going in front of anybody at all, one or 10 or 3,000 people was hard. But, you know, when you're, again, getting better at what you talk about and being the, the expert at it makes it a lot easier and you feel more comfortable. And the more you speak, the more comfortable you get. And I guess that's with anything, right? It's even with the memory stuff. You know, it sounds like crazy that I could work on my memory and have an amazing memory, but it's a skill. So is speaking. And, and I think being a, a, maybe not a full outrovert, but or extrovert, um, but at least pretending to be one in certain cases, I think that's a skill you can learn by practice, by doing it and forcing yourself to do it, even if you crash and burn a bunch. I Which think I that's exactly has. it. Like you're, you've, uh, and I've, I can relate to that. I love speaking in front of large audiences because I think you could put on persona. Yeah. You're a superhero on stage, right? But you're in a yeah. one to one conversation and it's a little different or one, like a five to one conversation. You can't really be a persona. You can't sit up there and, and accentuate your voice the same way and act a little bit. And I think that's, that's, you know, a big difference for me specifically. I'd like, I love, I love doing that, uh, speaking in front of large audiences for, yeah. you know, for that exact reason. Yeah. I, I think the hardest for me, I think one-on-one -on -one I'm not too bad. Um, cause I can at least control the situation a little bit better. And if it's not going well, I, I might have some avenues out. Um, and big crowds I think are okay, but I think it's tough in a group that's like less than 10 yep. where it's not me in control. That's where I have a hard time because I don't know the right things to interject with. I don't know when to like laugh the right way or, or what's the joke or not. Or, you know, there's always going to be someone maybe more alpha than you. And, and I don't know how to respond to that. So there's a weirder dynamic with tiny groups, you know, that I'm not good with. Yeah, I totally can uh, relate to that <laughs> for sure. Like you just have this loud person in the group and you might have a much better answer, but you don't get to to say it because they're, they're loud and you're just like, okay, what do I do here? And it just gets awkward. Yeah. Uh, I know you, you created a, a charity, which I think is awesome. Climb for memory. Yeah. Can you explain what that is? Sure. So, um, this, I, I started this charity back in 2010. So kind of at the early point of me discovering this memory world and, and kind of realizing that, you know, the stuff I just learned and taught myself, not many people know about. And if I could just get this out to as many people as possible and make people more aware of their brain being a, an important thing to consider for your health, right? I don't think many people think that way. Um, 
then that was what I was trying to do with this charity is to kind of announce that. And I tried to think of ways I could spread the message better. And, and I was into climbing and I thought, well, why not shout it from the tallest places in the world? You know, people are interested in, in these kind of expeditions and mountain climbs. And maybe one day they'll even join me as kind of group um, fundraising things. And so I started with that and climb for memory was created. And I started climbing mountains which I was doing anyways, uh, to raise attention for uh, Alzheimer's and raise funds as well. And now it's kind of transformed into I'm trying to orchestrate and organize, uh, you know, not trips to Everest to the summit, but to Everest Base Camp, uh, a trek or to Kilimanjaro hike. I, I run a bunch of those uh, every year. I mean, last year we just did one um, because of COVID, but uh, that that's kind of what it's become and, and helping people actually experience memorable things um, while also climbing for a cause, I think is, is kind of an awesome way to go about it. You know, I want to do that. How do you find out more about that? Yeah. Uh, you can just let me know, uh, go to my website, nelsondellis.com. Well, you could just send me an email, but if anybody's <laughs> interested, uh, we're running a trip to Kilimanjaro this fall um, and anybody's welcome and I'll be there. And you'll learn from me and you'll get to summit the tallest mountain in Kilimanjaro and you'll do it for a good cause and, and walk away with a really memorable, life-changing experience. That's amazing. All right. I know we're wrapping up. I have a few speed questions for you. So you only have a few Always seconds to answer these. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to time you, but here we go. Okay. What's your favorite unimportant thing to do? Uh, play video games. Uh, anything with Super Mario. I'm a sucker for Who's your favorite band? Ooh, uh, Tool. What's one book that changed your life? I have a YouTube video on this. Uh, I, this is embarrassing, but it's it's true, and 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 it, it's a delicate thing to say these days. But it's a book called The Game, um, which is a expose, I guess, into the world of uh, pickup artists. It's an old book from like two thousand five. Um, so it's a bit outdated, but I think the one thing I learned from it, forget about dating women, it was really understanding people and interactions with people and, and psychology. I think that's, that's kind of the biggest thing that it changed and it helped me be a little more extroverted, which I needed. So I'd say that one. Did you use those techniques to meet your wife? No, <laughs> no, we just clicked. It was, it was crazy. We have the same birthday. I think we kissed within 20 minutes of our conversation. Uh, oh, we had too many things in common. It was like, I didn't have to do anything. It just, everything aligned, you know? <laughs> nice. And last but not least, what's the last thing you bought online? Not on Amazon. Oh, not on Amazon. Uh, I should know this. Uh, I think I bought, yeah, uh, a really expensive camera for my videography stuff nice cool <laughs> well hey it was great to spend time with you i think you already gave your your contact info but please go to nelson's website also this book phenomenal for kids and and parents and you have a few other books you have a netflix special i'll link to all those in the show notes nice. thank it you it's great to spend time with you nelson yeah likewise i really appreciate you having me on the show and ask me those questions thank you Thank you for listening. Huge shout out to Nelson Dallas. What a smart guy. I love learning new skills. I already applied his memory techniques when I was recently out of town with my wife. We met a few other couples at a resort we were at 
and the husband's name was Patrick, the wife's name was Leah. I immediately thought of Patrick Swayze dancing on the brim of his hat with Jennifer Grey for Patrick. And then Leah, I imagined Han Solo and Princess Leia taken off of her cheekbones. She had these really nice cheekbones and uh, taken off in the Millennium Falcon. I know that sounds so crazy, but applying something like that made me remember their name. And the next day at breakfast, I would have never remembered it. I just wouldn't have. But I did, and I walked up to them. I said, hey, Patrick, hey, Leia, how are you? And that alone is just so much more personable than saying, hey, how's it going, guys? So just want to let you know that, that if you start to actually practice this stuff, it works, and it's a lot of fun. Also, since the podcast, I consumed A Moral Man. It's a book by Derek Delgadio, super interesting book. But the moral of the story here is I had to read it at least 20% faster by using some of these techniques I learned from Nelson today. I would love to hear what you learned and if you put into practice any of these things and your results. So please send them my way. Leave a comment, a review. It would mean a ton to me. And if you made it this far, go to notalmostthere.com forward slash made it, M-A-D-E-I-T, to get a free t-shirt. It's my way of saying thanks. I promised at the beginning of this episode that I have something for you, and that is it. Again, notalmostthere.com forward slash made it. It's my way of saying thank you. You mean a ton to me. Last but not least, remember you, me, we are not almost there. I'll see you next week. Thank you.